This evening we will be in 1 Peter chapter 5, and actually we will only be going through verses 1 through 4 uh, tonight, not verse 5, just verses 1 through 4. You can find this passage on page 1016 in the Pew Bible. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Be reading from the English Standard Version, hear the word of the Lord. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That sends the reading of God's holy word. So it's interesting because uh, what what is what have we been saying has been like one of the key major themes in the book of First Peter. What do we just talked about again and again and again? Suffering. Suffering, right? Suffering just has come up in every chapter. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. And then Peter says, and now let's talk about elders. <laughs> right? Is that one of those topic shifts that you're like, wait, what? And he also begins with, so. Like, like it's a natural transition. You're like, well, I know that we have elders in the church, and so therefore it makes sense to talk about elders, but why is Peter suddenly, why does he assume it's a natural shift to start talking about eldership as he's been talking about suffering, 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 suffering in the Christian life for, cha- for the first essentially four chapters of his letter? And um, now obviously he must be talking about elders because uh, there's confusion. In, the, in these churches in, in Asia Minor or modern-day northern Turkey, uh, where um, that, uh, that there's, that there's confusion about what the, the job of an elder was. Uh, what, what is his work? What is his responsibility? What is his duty? Uh, and um, and even, we would even say, we would even say today that uh, there is still confusion about uh, what the office of elder is about. Um, and uh, sometimes eldership is thought of as kind of just an uh, oversight uh, kind of an oversight committee uh, of a nonprofit organization, and so there's just kind of a very business-like model is adopted for for eldership. Uh, but Peter is going to show us today what it means to be an elder, and um, but it still relates to suffering. And essentially, and and what I understand this to mean is that, well, to put it this way, so. Um, there's a great book on church uh, government, Presbyterian church government, called How Jesus Runs the Church, and uh, by uh, Guy Waters. And, and so, uh, and in that book, he, he explains how we are given a great commission as the church by Jesus, right? And uh, so we're supposed to go do what? Go and make disciples, right, of all the nations, baptizing and teaching, uh, and... Uh, well, how does Christ order that? How does he organize that commission to operate to operate within the church? He does it through the church officers of offices of elder and deacon, right? He orders that through these offices. 
And so if, you, if we understand that we apply, we carry out the Great Commission. Um, yes, it's a Great Commission for each and every member of the church. But the oversight of that Great Commission is given to the, to the elders of the church. So what if a church is being persecuted as they're trying to carry forward? You know, th- then that's eldership really matters. You need good elders to shepherd a church that is being actively persecuted for the faith. And this, I believe, is why Peter turns to eldership at this point. Talk about suffering, suffering, suffering. And then he wants to make it clear. Elders in this area of the world where, where, where there is real persecution going on. Here is what you need to hear. Here is what you need to know. And if that's what they need to know in times of persecution, then it's certainly what elders need to know in times of non-persecution. When the church isn't being actively persecuted. We don't just go, well, we only do this when we're being persecuted. Right? This is how the, the elders are supposed to shepherd. Now, that being said, someone might say, well, Eric, I don't know if you noticed, but we're not all elders. So we'll all just leave. And you can preach to uh, the three guys in here who are on the session, and uh, and we can all have uh, and we'll have an early night. <laughs> like, why why do we need to know about this? Um, well, it's important first for the church broadly to understand what is required of an elder. Um, one, so they so that church members know what to expect from their elders. That they know what 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 to expect. What they why is the elder you know asking me these questions? Why is he asking to visit? Why is he you know ministering in this way? Well, well, because this is his responsibility. Um, and it's also knowing what elders are responsible responsible to do helps those who are not elders to assist elders in our work through prayer or, or assistance and help. Um, or even just keeping us accountable in the places where, as elders, we fall short. It happens, and we, and we need people to point it out to us. You know, we have never claimed to know all things and to be perfect as a session. We're like, tell us, talk to us. We will gladly hear you out. We don't want to miss things. We don't want things to fall through the gaps. And we are very willing to repent where we have gone wrong. So with, all, with that said, let's go ahead and jump in and hear Peter uh, as a shepherd who is calling to fellow shepherds in verses 1 and 2. Now first, Peter spends a little bit of time talking about his, uh, his position, where he's coming from. So when I was doing a, a, um, a, the thing when you do your Masters of Divinity at, at RTS, it's just kind of like, it's, it's kind of just a... Um, there's, there's lots of languages, there's lots of biblical exegesis, lots of Bible survey stuff. You go spend a lot of time in your Bible, which is good. You want seminaries to make their students spend a lot of time in their Bibles. Uh, but then they kind of just kind of throw a smattering of other things in. They're like, okay, pastoral counseling, one semester, and you're, you, you're ready. You know, it's like, uh, but, uh, but it was led by the head, of our, the head of the counseling department for the entire seminary. Uh, and and so he came up and he gave it to us. And he gave us really good stuff. He just he said, look, I'm going to give you, you know, the, uh, from a pastor's point of view, common issues and things like that. And went through. But the process, it, 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 whenever the whether you're a biblical counselor or a, a pastoral counselor, he said, the first step is to deal with your own baggage. <laughs> You've got to deal with yourself 
before anybody else walks in the room. You've got to know what you're bringing in the room too, so that way you don't just interpret their problems as your own. You don't, you know, put your problems onto them. You know, it's just it's our projecting. And so she's like, I think you have a lot of problems with your mother. And it's like, and it's like, no, I think you do, Pastor. <laughs> so every time I come in here, you keep talking about it. So, uh, so, uh, and so Peter is kind of saying, look, let me tell you where I'm coming from. Let me tell you where I'm speaking from. And, and Peter does speak with apostolic authority through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. That's what this letter is. It is scripture. But consider how Peter describes himself. He says, I am a fellow elder. I am speaking as an elder to elders. As a witness to Christ's sufferings. And as a partner, as a future partaker, along with all you, other believers, in the future glory of Christ. And so he is imploring the elders of the churches and the diaspora of, of Christianity, not specifically as an apostle, but as one who shares in their calling, who thus shares in the difficulty and the challenges and the temptations and the weight that these elders face. And this further, uh, in the way he talks here, confirms our understanding that churches were in that time ruled by elders, and, and, and which is the primary reason for how Presbyterian structure our church government. Further, uh, uh, Peter says he is a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Now, this is a, this is a unique reality to Peter um, because there's only a definite group of people who saw, who witnessed the sufferings of Christ. But as one, uh, one the commentator pointed out, but Peter, it is recorded, witnessed Jesus' sufferings in a very peculiar manner because he witnessed Jesus' sufferings as one who was actively denying him at the time. Because remember, he denied him for the third time, and the rooster crowed, and Jesus looked up at him, right? And he went and wept. He witnessed the sufferings of Christ while he was actively denying Christ. And so, um, and so, in one sense, he includes this certainly because of the theme of suffering that has been in the in the in the, the, the letters so far, and another reminder that Christ has suffered for His church and calls His people to suffer in His name. That we should not be surprised when suffering comes upon us, for our Savior suffered. But he also he also uh, he also pairs this. Uh, this with something that is true for all Christians. While not all Christians witness the sufferings of Christ, all Christians will be partakers of the future glory of Christ when he returns, which is often referred to as the perusia. Now, now again, when Peter witnessed the sufferings of Christ was when he was denying the Savior. Yet we know Peter was shown grace. He was shown mercy. He was reconciled to Christ. And he was given the calling to go and serve the church, even for his terrible sin. This is why I actually don't understand why when someone says, well, the only, the only, when they try to identify the unforgivable sin, and it's, it's like, well, the unforgivable sin is denying Christ. I'm like, unless you repent. Because uh, I see Peter himself deny Christ. And apparently he didn't commit the unforgivable sin because Christ, Christ took him back. And so it's just kind of like, look, the door is always open to anyone who will repent. We cannot deny um, those who are repentant and seeking forgiveness in Christ. 
And so it's important to see that Peter grounds the following exhortations to the leadership of the church, and, and even the church generally, not as an apostle, but as an elder in the church, and as a believer just like every other Christian. He doesn't get, uh, you know, uh, special extra grace because he's an apostle, right? Uh, the apostles, elders, deacons, every member of Christ's church are saved by the same grace, share in the same inheritance. And while there's still some vagueness about what rewards look like in the, in the kingdom of God, uh, there is, we still have that same inheritance that we will share in glory. And so this grace shown to Peter, um, it may actually be what leads us to what comes next, which is the, right at the beginning of verse 2, where he, he calls the elders to shepherd the flock. And I find it interesting that Peter chooses that word, shepherd. It's a word with uh, connotations of watching out for others, uh, of governance, of showing nurturing care. It, it's a word that literally is used for shepherding a flock of sheep. Uh, even more, it is the command that Jesus gave Peter himself in John twenty-one sixteen when he restored Peter on the beach there. Three times Peter had denied Jesus before, and three times... Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Three times Peter said he loved him. And three times Jesus told him in various ways to shepherd his sheep and to feed them. Peter took this to heart, seemingly as the chief metaphor of ministry. Not just for apostles, but for elders. The shepherding by elders then is not a ministry of CEOs or middle management. The leadership of elders is personal, and at its heart involves the ministry of the word by which the sheep are fed. Shepherds, we know, lived with their sheep. They cared for them, protected them, sought them out when they go missing. And so as we think about this metaphor of eldership in the church tonight, and as Peter explains what it means, we need to go ahead and discard any other uh, poor metaphors that we may have that tend to make ministry cold and impersonal and businesslike. Instead, we are invited to see the work of the elder as personal, caring, and involved. And so with that, let's move into uh, the rest of verse 2 and, and go ahead and moving through into verse 4 to, to talk about how the elder and why the elder shepherds God's flock. So verses 2 and 3 really have to do with how elders are to shepherd the people of God. And this is, uh, and the elders, uh, or the flock is actually self-defined by two aspects, according to Peter. That first, we notice that the flock does not belong to the elders. He says that, he says that the church is the flock of God. That is a statement of accountability to the elders. God cares for his sheep. Jesus made this clear. Every one of his sheep he cares about. And therefore our concern as elders must be to please Jesus, to please God with how we care for his flock. We are stewards for God. Second, he says, care for the flock that is among you. And technology has given us a lot of opportunity to reach out across the world. Uh, the sermons even from our own church go to all kinds of countries 
uh, and places. That, and we are so grateful for the opportunity to be able to give people the, the, the opportunity to hear the Word of God, to hear it. Uh, and, and, and I'm always shocked about, you know, how many countries will, it will pop up on the map. And I go look it up on Sermon Audio <laughs> like, and look at the stats and see where they're getting downloaded. And, uh, and at times we've gotten emails or we've gotten phone calls asking for prayer. And we welcome those things. But we remember that the flock of God that our elders are called to shepherd is this flock that we are with here and now. Not the flock on the internet. Not on the flock that is some, some following that we're trying to develop on a platform. You can't shepherd on the internet. You can teach. You can communicate. You can be of help and assistance. But you cannot shepherd. Shepherding is a, at its very, by its very definition is a ministry of presence. It's a ministry of being near. And so there, there are temptations, you know, for, for pastors to develop their flock online, to have an electronic church of followers. But again, that is not what we are called to do. And so Peter goes on to describe what, what, this, uh, what it means to be an elder, to what it means to shepherd. And he says, essentially, it is exercising oversight. And that's really just one Greek verb that means to pay attention to something or to oversee or to care for someone, to take responsibility for them. Even here, we can see that it doesn't mean that elders run around doing everything for everyone, but that elders are called to exercise overall concern and care for the people of God in their midst. This involves instruction in the word, prayer, and even correction, careful and loving correction at times. And Peter is careful to clarify what this oversight looks like with three contracts. It says, not this, but this. Not this, but this. Not this, but this. This is three times. And go ahead and group them off and do the negative ones first and the positive ones uh, together uh, separately. And so negatively, Peter says that uh, this exercise of oversight, taking responsibility of God's flock is not to be done under compulsion. It is not to be done for shameful gain. It is not to be done in a way that is domineering over those who are in our charge. It is not uh, an office that is to be imposed upon a man by force or by guilt. You know, ironically, Augustine, one of the you know, fathers of the faith, as we look back theologically, you know, one of the most famous theologians from the 4th century church, uh, the story goes that he wept as they dragged him to the front of the church to make him bishop. <laughs> because he just wanted to be an egghead scholar off of, in the desert somewhere. And they were like, no, you will be our pastor. And they just dragged him to the front and, and anointed him. <laughs> you know. um, uh, John Calvin, uh, he was kind of in a following Augustine. He's like, I want to go be a professor somewhere. I want to go off. He a buddy of his has, had stopped by, seen me in Geneva, and he, and he was like, you need to stay here and help me build a church and figure all this stuff out. He's like, no, I'm going to go study. And the guy was like, if you do that, I'm going to pray for God to curse your studies. And look, he was like, you better help me out. <laughs> and he was like, fine, I'll stay around. And so, and so he did. And then he was there for several years until the Genevans even booted Calvin out. And then he came back a couple years later. So... But, uh, um, but that's not the scenarios that we want to call men to the ministry, all right? We don't want to drag them and guilt them and berate them. But there are times when, they do, when, when people do need to be challenged. 
as well. So uh, there, there, there can be a fine line there. Uh, but uh, but men, men should not be given the job under compulsion. Uh, um, also, no, no one should want to be an elder for money. Uh, in Peter's day, pagan moral teachers were often accused of greed as they, as they tried to squeeze money out of those that they, had, that they taught. Um, in later years in the, in the church, um, you know, it, it, they would sell uh, offices in the church uh, to the highest bidder. They were noble positions where you can make a lot of money. Uh, you know, and you know, even if you're even if you're an elder who's a teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church, you know, you'd be a pastor. You know, you don't become a pastor because you're going to get rich off it. Because and 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 if and if somebody does that to become uh, you know to get rich off being a pastor, well, then that is a bad church, and that's going to go really bad. Not for that guy; he's probably going to make a lot of money, but he's going to do it by ripping everybody off. So, uh, I mean, if I ever get diamond cufflinks, just fire me. So, but. Uh, but honest men are needed for the office. And we have seen too many examples, even in our own day, of pastors who are willing to steal money or, uh, or manage, uh, uh, you know, or, or to go to try to just grow the church because they want to line their own pockets. There's even a thing on social media um, as an account, I forget, it's called like Pastor Shoes or something like that. And they basically, and they basically will take some of these big mega pastors and some of these like really super famous pastors, and they and they basically they just do screenshots of the clothes they're wearing on Sunday, and they'll just go wearing ten thousand ten thousand dollar pair of shoes, and like they just kind of just kind of like uh, you know what's going on, and it's like what message uh, is that, is that sending um, uh, to be able to uh, be in a place where as a pastor you can even afford that? There's just something's something's gone wrong. An elder must also not be domineering. You know, we've encountered people in the workplace who get an ounce of power and turn it into a pound of pride, right? Uh, this, when I was at the military college, you know, it was just, it was amazing when a sophomore got a couple of like little bars on their shoulder all of a sudden, and all of a sudden they got, they got real proud of themselves, you know, and they had a little bit of authority over a guy there, guys that they're just one year or maybe less than a year older than. But they were very proud of it. Even worse is for elders to do this. Because we are given trust by God and given trust by the flock. And as we will see later next week, we'll talk about that Peter does command the flock of God to submit themselves to the leadership of the church. And as, 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 as pastors and elders, we are given access to the most personal parts of people's lives. I mean, that's the, that's the great privilege of serving as an elder in the church, is to, to be able to walk in a room with people who are grieving, to go be invited in to the hospital room, to be invited in to the funeral you know, parlor, to be invited into those areas, which are the most open wound places, to be invited into those places and to be and to be to be able to administer the love of Christ, to represent Christ in those spaces, like that is just such an incredible privilege to have that. And if pastors or elders abuse that authority, abuse that trust that is given to them, what a wicked sin that is! What a wicked sin. Calvin here uh, on this passage identified the sins to be avoided by elders as sloth, greed, and lust for power. 
And in recent years, and even tragically in recent days, we have had reports being released from various uh, places and evangelical don- de- denominations. Um, uh, that, and, and we see what happens when authority in the church, when people who are in authority, men who are in authority in the church, abuse their power that they are given. Shattered churches and shattered lives. And a stain upon the face of Christ. But Peter says that elders ought to be willing, eager to serve, and committed to live as examples for the flock. That is what eldership looks like. That's what it means to shepherd. And, and so uh, service as an elder then must be voluntary. Uh, they must want to do it. And further, he says they ought to be eager to do it. That Greek word eager means to enthusiasm, to be enthusiastic. And it's interesting that he contrasts that not greedy for dishonest gain, not, not greedy for longing for shameful gain. He says, but enthusiastic. He puts that as a contrast together. And so that, uh, and, and so that there is this enthusiasm, not for money, but an enthusiasm for the glory of God and the good of his people. There's an eagerness and delight to see the, the, the people of God flourish in his grace. Instead of domineering attitude, Peter says elders are to lead exemplary lives. That elders intentionally are called to lead in personal godliness. That we are supposed to have lives that the flock would see, and if they emulate, would give glory to God. To say as Paul would say, do as I do. Now exemplary doesn't entail perfection, thank you. Part of, because part of the example that elders set is in the area of repentance. It does, it does when I think about it, remind me of parenting. Um, not to say that like elders are the dad and the church members are the kids. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but rather that, as we're talking about that trust thing. My children are given to me as a trust. They don't have any choice but to rely upon me for everything. Food, clothing, Education. In that relationship, I have an incredible amount of authority, and as I remind them, dictatorial authority when I need it. But I also have a responsibility to set an example for them, to not abuse that authority. Because they learn about God from how I use my authority and the example that I set for before them. And early on, they don't see anything wrong. When they're eight, nine, maybe ten, they, you know, they, they think, oh, mom, dad, you, you don't sin. You don't do things wrong. And, but in time, they start to remember. In time, they begin to see. And they see me at my best, and they see me at my worst. And so I have to lead my children not by simply barking orders at them all the time and never admitting wrong, saying, I'm the pastor, but by setting an example for them in my speech, in my conduct, and in my repentance when I sin. Setting an example just has a way of keeping your ego in check. It reminds you that you are accountable to others. 
And so elders who, who are charged with oversight, who exercise oversight in this way, will do good for the flock of God. The sheep will be cared for, their needs will be met. And, and for Peter's audience who are under attack through persecution and intense suffering and trials of the faith, they need elders like this who are going to care for them as their friends disappear into the dungeons, into the trials. As they suffer, as they suffer hardship for themselves. As the author of Hebrews says, you know, you rejoice in having your possessions plundered for the sake of Christ. And one scholar pointed out that in time, this area of Asia Minor actually became a very strong place in the church for orthodox, orthodoxy and church vitality. It would seem that the elders to whom Peter wrote took his words to heart and ministered their churches in this way. And so should the elders of our church. In verse 4, Peter gives us our last item tonight, which is why elders shepherd. We talk about how. But why? What's the motivation here? And so first, elders shepherd in this way because as we find out here, the shepherds, elders in the church are merely under shepherds. We are in fact, we find out, elders are simply sheep who have been given shepherd's crooks. Because there is in fact a chief shepherd. The one David wrote about in Psalm 23. Our Savior Jesus Christ, who told us plainly that He is the Good Shepherd. And once again, we see that elders are accountable not only because the flock belongs to God, but the office which we hold belongs to Jesus. That He is the Chief Elder, He is the Chief Shepherd. And so, as elders, we need to ask ourselves do we shepherd after the example of Christ? Who said that his heart was gentle and lowly, ready to receive the weak and the weary? Do we stand ready to defend the flock of God, to search out the sheep who have gotten lost and to bring them back in? Are we looking out for the sheep that Jesus has yet to add to his fold in our own midst? Because there is a time coming when he will appear. When he returns in the end. Now in those days, they, they held the Roman games, right? And everybody loved the games. And uh, oftentimes, uh, they didn't do. They would do games almost. Uh, they would do games only once a century for a long time, uh, because the whole idea was you wanted to say because because uh, every time you see a sporting event, they're like. So like nothing you've seen before. And we're like it's Super Bowl seventy five. We've seen it before. Okay, it's all right. I love I love football. I love the Super Bowl. But you're just kind of like you know we've seen this before. Okay. Well, they would actually hold off for like a hundred years so that way everyone who had seen the games had died. And and so literally no one had ever seen it. And so the emperor could say these are games like you've never seen before. You know because no one's alive who saw the last ones. Uh, and so, and at, the, at, at those games, they would give the crown of glory, right? They would give the crown, the flower crown of victory to the ones who won. Well, G, well, Peter says that when Christ returns, 
the elders will, uh, will, who have served well will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now what that is exactly, we don't know. But clearly it is a reward of honor at the very least. But this also implies, assumes that there will be an evaluation, an accounting of how elders serve the people of God and ultimately God himself. And so what this means also is that elders are not politicians who merely represent the will of the people. Though elders in the Presbyterian Church are elected to serve by the people of God and are called, and are called at our various meetings to represent our churches at those meetings, in the office the elders are actually called to represent God, to represent Christ to the people, in that we are ministers of the Word. We minister, we teach, we visit, we care, we comfort, we mourn with, as representatives of Jesus And so we seek our reward not from the applause of the church, but from God himself, from Christ, the chief shepherd. This is important because there are times when elders are called to make decisions the flock may not want. When the time to teach the scriptures, when that may contain things that maybe people in the church don't want to hear. Because we've forgotten what the word says. The Wesley brothers who founded the Methodist church were often chased out of churches for focusing on the fact that even these good, upstanding Christian people were sinners who needed grace and mercy and they needed to repent before God. In fact, one, in one entry in one of their journals uh, wondered at, at that moment wondered if he had, he wondered if he had compromised the gospel uh, recently because there wasn't as much rotten food being thrown at him as had been his normal expectation as he normally had received when he preached. This is the call of the elder to shepherd the flock. And it's a call that that is on the elder whether the church is in good or bad times. Whether it's heavy under persecution. Or whether the church is eating itself from the inside out. It is a responsibility. It is a call to take responsibility for a definite group of people. To look out for their souls and their well-being. To comfort them in their sorrows. To lift their eyes to the Savior. To correct them when they err. In short, the call to the elders is to love the people of God. And to lead them in the way of God. Now one thing I neglected to mention about shepherding (laughs) is time. I've been a pastor of Bailey. I'm in my my 10th year. So it will be 10 years in November. Right? And uh, the average pastorate in the evangelical church is less than four years. Less than four. And that means that you have many that last much shorter than four years. And very few that last long, long time. Uh, I know guys who I graduated with, and in, in, my, in, in ten years, they're already at their third church. And... Um, and it's not really, and there's all kinds of reasons, there's all kinds of issues and problems uh, that, uh, are, that the church deals with. But I will say it's a blessing to be at a church for 10 years, and Lord willing, many, many more. But even in those 10 years, I've, got, I've overseen the births of children, weddings, and funerals. 
made some dumb mistakes, exposed my own faults and failings. Those things are always before my eyes. But I've also seen people in the church grow in faith, endure suffering and hardship, and grow stronger in their love for Christ. Seeing people leave, seeing people come in. And so for me and for my fellow elders, this text is an encouragement and a call for us to grow evermore in holiness and faithfulness as under-shepherds of Christ Jesus. To everyone else, I would ask for you to for I would ask for you to hold us to this standard. To commend us when we do well. To correct us when we fail. To pray for us as we lead the flock of God, whether it's in the grassy fields and the flowing streams, in the dark valleys, until the chief shepherd guides us all home to be with himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the office of elder. We thank you that you call fallible men to this office. And that in you call us in our weakness to minister through the power of Christ. We pray that we would indeed be humbled by this calling. Humbled by our own limitations and weaknesses. But most of all, humbled by the amazing grace of God that saves us, sinful men, from damnation and promises us eternal life and then gives us a noble calling. Lord, may you strengthen the elders of this church, the elders of your church everywhere, to shepherd the flock of God that is under our care, to care for those who are before us, to love them well, to seek to bring in others. May you bring health and revival to your church starting with the elders. And Lord, may your church grow in health and vitality. May sin and evil and wickedness be excised and cut out from the, from the fellowship of believers. And may we learn to follow you and to love one another with the holy love that is only found in Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.